easy to work with. Life at the court of Urbino had taught him what today we call the power to make friends and influence people. After the stormy negotiations with Michelangelo over painting the Sistine ceiling, the Pope was delighted to deal with someone with charming manners and a winning personality. But where to put the young man to work? Julius's mind drifted to his papal apartments in the Vatican Palace. He hated them. Their splashy gilt decorations and dated lifeless frescoes served only to remind him of his predecessor, the infamous Pope Alexander Borgia, and Alexander's poisonous children, Cesare and Lucrezia. Julius already had Il Sodoma, Lotto, and the rest hard at work redecorating key rooms on the first and second floors. He had something else in mind for Raphael. The room he was thinking about was on the third floor, and offered more than five hundred square feet of wall space. It had high, arched ceilings, and a mosaic pavement set with geometric designs. The rest stood bare, except for some ceiling frescoes Julius intended to replace. So, at some point in the winter of 1508, he and Raphael and Bramante would have wandered inside, passing teams of artists and assistants laboring in the halls with paintbrushes and trowels. They would have seen their breath as they stood in the frigid air. Their words would have echoed in that soaring, empty space. This shall be our personal library, Julius probably said, gesturing toward the empty walls, give us a design suited to that purpose. Raphael had little experience painting frescoes, and none conceiving an artistic program comprehensive enough to fill such a space. But Julius knew how to handle men, and he knew artists. He sensed that if this young provincial, whose reputation was built on his charming but rather anodyne portraits of the Madonna and Child, was turned loose to decorate the papal library— what would be the center of Julius's intellectual life, the result would be a masterpiece. He was correct. We can see it today, just down the hall from the Sistine Chapel. Like Michelangelo's ceiling, Raphael's Stanza della Segnatura is a triumph of skill and intellect. In Vasari's words, by the genius shown in this work, Raphael clearly demonstrated his determination to be the undisputed master of Renaissance painting, the equal of both Michelangelo and Leonardo da Vinci. We know that the complete artistic program of the stanza, with its allegorical representations of philosophy, theology, law, and the arts, was drawn up not by Raphael, but probably by the Pope's librarian, with the help of the humanist Giovanni Pico della Mirandola. But Raphael brought his own gift for pictorial drama to the task, and it permeates the stanza's centerpiece. The School of Athens is a grand summing up of Western civilization's debt to the ancient world at mid-career, and to that world's two greatest and most influential minds, perhaps the two greatest minds of all time, Plato and Aristotle. The painting shows the two philosophers, larger than life-size, in an architectural setting of unparalleled splendor, with other philosophers arrayed on either side until they fill the entire wall. Plato stands slightly to the left and points heavenward, 
toward a transcendent reality. Next to him stands his great teacher Socrates, and below him sits the mathematician Pythagoras. Alongside are Plato's closest disciples, his nephew Speusippus and Xenocrates, but also the ancient thinkers who emphasized the importance of intuition, the emotions, and speculative philosophy. Scholars have identified Plotinus, the father of Neoplatonism, and Epicurus, the founder of Epicureanism, as well as an Arab philosopher, Averroes, and a woman, the pagan priestess Hypatia. At their feet sits another philosopher, Heraclitus, which is, in fact, a portrait of Michelangelo. Over all their heads stands a statue of Apollo, the god of the arts and divine inspiration. On the opposite side, on the right side, is the vigorous bearded...